Hello folks and welcome to the Bad Brain Curio Shop. You're not quite weekly, but not quite monthly either. Uh, taste of what's going on in my brain. Um, as per usual today, we've got a pretty good show for you. Sorry it's been a while, but been really busy lately. We're going to start with shoutouts, go on to some stuff of the week. Got some personal stories, mostly about the fair this week. Um, moving right into some video games and... A little bit of discussion of movies and some talk about books should be a good show for you. So jumping right in, I'm going to jump in with some shout-outs. I'm going to start out with Chris and Chris Take Over the World. I've talked about them a lot on this podcast, and this particular shout-out is uh, particularly important to me because I am uh, shouting out to them because we did a, a crossover cast recently. So I'll put the link to their show in my show notes as well as a link to the particular podcast where... They and I did a crossover. It was good fun. Uh, really enjoyed working with those guys. And take a listen. We had a blast. Um, also going to give a shout out to John Brothers saying congratulations on your engagement. That happened at Gen Con. It's a pretty cool story, but it's a personal story. So ask him if you're interested. Um, and giving that shout out to him, I hope that that means somebody will uh, poke him in the face and say, hey, you should listen to that podcast that Aaron's been telling you about. And finally, I want to give a shout-out to the folks over at Follow Networks. They do Mad Chat with Matt and Chad and the Rancor's Brothel. I believe that they've been over a year podcasting now, and I just wanted to say congrats to them and hope that they have many more successful years. So that's all the shout-outs this week. Um, I'm going to start in with some stuff of the week. I talked with somebody about this a couple weeks ago, and I'm going to make the Whedonverse show of the week this week dollhouse and the reason i'm making that specifically the show of the week this week you know within the wheaton verse is dollhouse is i think kind of overlooked as a television show and it is with a fairly decent reason dollhouse started off really weak it started off with some very heavy-handed production and because of that the first five episodes are not very strong I don't feel like Wheaton really got across what he was trying to get across in those five episodes, and I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that Fox stepped in when they shouldn't be stepping in in the show. But from the sixth show onward, it really gets interesting. And for those of you who don't know, Dollhouse is about this concept where a corporation has invented a way of wiping human minds and replacing them with composite personalities and memories that they invent. And then these people, which are referred to by the corporation as the dolls, go out and do things for the highest bidder. Um, whatever their personalities are designed to do, whether that be combat or maybe sexual favors or reliving even just like old I-miss-my-wife fantasies, make-my-wife-in-a-new-person-for-a-while kind of things. What I find really interesting about this show is until the end of the first season, like, it gets interesting after the sixth episode, but I didn't really think 
about how far you could take that concept and what that concept could actually mean and the scarier aspects of it because it's already kind of unnerving but he sort of takes it a step even further at the end of the first season and there are two seasons so i really recommend everybody pick it up take a look at it particularly if you like buffy if you like firefly this has a similar wit and charm about it, but it also has this very dark edge, a lot like Buffy and Firefly, or at least Serenity. Um, and it's a really great show that I think was very much overlooked by fans of Wheaton because of the mismanagement of the first part of the show. Let's see what we've got for other stuff this week. Um, the word of the week is supercilious. I like this one a lot because... You can use it when somebody is being kind of a jackass. So supercilious means behaving as if one is superior to another. Um, and it's particularly used in a derogative way. So like that jackass and his supercilious comments in class pissed me off. You know, if somebody's being a blowhard and they're saying a lot of things to sound like, well, I am clearly better than you at blah, blah, blah. They're being supercilious. And if you use that term and they don't know what it means, ha, you've got a one-up on them. Um, and finally, the current style of the week is alternating current uh, because Tesla was right and Edison was wrong. We still use alternating current every day and DC is, you know, not what we're generating most of all. So that's the stuff of the week. Um, I think probably most of this podcast is going to be in this next section which is personal stories. I've been spending a lot of time at state fairs lately. Uh, I went to the Indiana State Fair two weeks ago uh, with uh, John and his, at that point, soon-to-be fiance, Rhiannon. Uh, we had a good time there. And then just yesterday, Adrian and I went to the Minnesota State Fair and also saw a concert there, which was uh, Smash Mouth, Sugar Ray, and the Gin Blossoms. So that was a really great time. And the state fairs are kind of a, they're a tradition for me. The state fair means summer. It's what punctuates summer as a month in sort of the same way that Christmas, or a month, <laughs> punctuates summer as a season in sort of the same way that Christmas punctuates winter as a season or Halloween punctuates um, autumn as a season. Um, sorry, spring but you kind of get glossed in my world. Uh, but anyway, the true embodiment, I think, of summer is deep-fried food on a really hot night, you know, standing there in, like, a T-shirt and shorts, you know, wearing as little as you possibly can because it's so freaking hot, and walking around and seeing animals and seeing exhibits and going out on the midway, even though I don't really do that as much anymore, and just generally whooping it up and having a good time, having a late night of it. And so in Indiana, I've noticed the state fair is a little bit different than here. Indiana state fair for me, and some of this was because I was younger when I used to go regularly, but Indiana's state fair was all about the midway. They had a very good midway with very impressive rides and in past years, before they went with the new vendor that they're using for their midway, the prices were actually pretty reasonable. Every day of the fair, you could get a wristband, which would let you ride any of the rides that you wanted to ride, and it would be unlimited. 
Um, I always have a soft spot in my heart for the Ferris wheel at pretty much any fair. I think it's actually a very romantic ride because usually you're sitting two to a seat. You get to go up and see a lot of really, you know, beautiful views. You can see all of the carnival lights off into the distance. And it's just, it's just a very romantic kind of summer ideal riding in a Ferris wheel late at night. Um... Minnesota's Midway is not that impressive. Even when I was still into rides when I first came here, the Minnesota Midway kind of let me down, which was a bummer. But their fair is the largest state fair in the United States, I believe, and is pretty impressive compared to the Indiana State Fair in a lot of the other ways. Minnesota's State Fair is also all about food. Um... Not that the Indiana State Fair doesn't have great food, but Minnesota State Fair is really about showcasing new and interesting ways to possibly kill you with a heart attack. <clears throat> so every year there's a new food list, and that new food list, you know, tells you where you can go to get, like, strange concoctions. This year I think there's a... Um, chili chocolate ice cream i didn't end up trying that one year it was what was called the pig lickers which was chocolate covered bacon they of course in past years have had uh deep fried candy bars uh my first year here in minnesota they had the deep fried hot dish on a stick so every fair is about food but minnesota's state fair is a lot about food experimentation so you get to try some really wild and really interesting things here and that's one of the things I still love to do. Uh, in addition to that I I love going to see the animals and the exhibits. This is both at the Indiana State Fair and the Minnesota State Fair. The Indiana State Fair has some really good 4-H exhibits and the hall just seems endless with all the different things that the 4-H kids have been doing. Uh, the Minnesota State Fair has a very unusual competition they have a seed art competition where people make pictures out of different colored seeds. And what's really strange about the seed art competition is that most years, this year not as much as others, but most years it gets extremely political and mostly very left-leaning political. One year they had um, Rush Limbaugh and uh, Michelle Bachman and I don't remember the third person, but they had like a three-panel seed art thing showing them as like the right-wing sideshow. And it's just really interesting to see all of these people taking out their political views and the only art form that seems to make sense to, you know, release this kind of right versus left ire, which is seeds? I don't know. Um, this year there wasn't as much uh, seed art that was very political, which kind of made me sad. Um, there was still a lot of really amazing and really intricate pictures up there, but I enjoy just the silliness of how politicized it gets sometimes, and I kind of think that that sort of has become a tradition in and of itself at the, at the Minnesota State Fair, that you're going to have weird political battles in seeds and that's part of the charm of the competition now um if you want to see some other good pictures of the fair james lilacs always posts pretty good pictures if you want to see those they're at lilacs.com that's l-i-l-e-k-s dot c-o-m 
Um, click on his enormous list of all things on the site, scroll down to personal, click photos, and then click fair. And you'll see his state fair pictures. This year, he did kind of a cool thing where he's isolating still pictures and he's uh, making animated GIFs out of other parts of them. So the whole picture will be frozen except for one small portion of it. Um, and I thought they were pretty neat looking. And they can also just sort of give you a little bit of that feeling of what it's like to be at the fair, uh, which I always enjoy pretty much year-round. I'll go to it if I'm feeling blue about the fact that it has snowed in May like it did this year. So the other thing I wanted to talk about was also fair-related, and the fact that, you know, this is going to be the podcast where I discover that I'm kind of old, uh, or at least older than I used to be, um, which is... A ridiculous point to make because you're always older than you used to be but I was just thinking of the difference between when I would go to the fair at 21 versus when I would go to the fair now at 31 years old and how I'd react to things and I put together a couple lists of like my reactions to common fair situations and what they would have been like at as a 21 year old and as my curmudgeonly self now so for example <coughs> me at 21 Let's get up at 6 and stay to the fair till midnight. Me at 31. How about we sleep in and we'll get in there at about 1.30 and we'll stay till 9 or 10 and maybe watch a half hour show before we go to bed tonight. Me at 21. If we drive around the block for an hour, we will find the cheapest parking available. Me at 31. $40 for VIP parking? Yeah, worth it. Me at 21. I'm going to just bring money and my camera, nothing else. Me at 31. I'm going to bring some ibuprofen and some Claritin and some Pepsid AC. In fact, I'm going to take two of those right now and some Tums. And I'll, I'll, I'll just use my phone camera. I think that that's probably good enough. Say I see someone dressed scantily because of the hot weather. Me at 21. Holy hell, look at her. Me at 31. Who the hell do they think they are dressing like that? At the vendors. Me at 21. A beer is $6? That's ridiculous. Me at 31. I just want free water. Why can't I just get some free water? Me at 21. Ah, a turkey leg. The ultimate travel food. Me at 31. I think I'd better sit down while I eat this crap or there's going to be hell to pay later. Me at 21 at the health fair. Uh, for those who don't know, the Minnesota State Fair always has a health booth sponsored by the local media. There you can get a bunch of health tests done, and it's kind of interesting and always fun to do, and it sort of reminds you that, you know, while you're eating all this shit, at some point you're going to have to be nice to your body again. But anyway, me at the health fair at 21. Earplugs, why are you giving me these? Free earplugs? What the hell am I going to do with this? Me at 31. Earplugs, thank you so much. I've got a concert tonight, and I would have been in real trouble without these. Speaking of concerts, me at 21. I'm going to see Sugar Ray and Smash Mouth and the Gin Blossoms, and that's awesome. Me at 31. I'm going to see Sugar Ray and Smash Mouth and the Gin Blossoms. What do you mean you've never heard of these guys? Me at 21. Get a midway wristband. We're going to ride all of this shit. Me at 31. Um, 
that Tilt-A-Whirl seems a bit menacing. Anybody want to go back to the rabbit house? So yeah, those are some different takes on 21 versus 31. In fact, next time I do a podcast, I'll do some of yours. Give me your 21s and 31s. You can text, or you can text me. I'm not going to give out my text number on the podcast, but you can tweet me at badbraincurio, or you can email me at bbcs, that's for Bad Brain Curio Shop, at aaronmbond.com. Let me know what your 21-year-old self would say when you went to the fair and what your 31-year-old self would say in a different light. So we'll see. I'll put the best ones in the shout-outs of the next podcast. So, world and U.S. news. I don't have a ton here because there's not a ton that's very new or that we didn't cover in the crossover cast with uh, Crystal and Chris. Um... Some new things have come to light about Edward Snowden. Uh, That's the same topic as before. You know, you're being spied upon and you know it. This time what they've discovered is uh, The Guardian, which is a very big news outlet over in Britain, was raided by um, the Britain Intelligence Agency to... and, And they destroyed hard drives with Snowden's leaks on them. So it's very clear that the intelligence agencies are very purposely targeting this um, communication and this information to make certain that we don't know of it. And granted, this isn't the United States, but we also know that intelligence agencies across the world cooperate. And in this case, it's probably trying to stop us so or stop them from publishing these things to us because they know we wouldn't stand for the type of surveillance that probably all of the agencies are doing. So I'm just going to say it here. Um, I might say it a few more times on this podcast because I think we need to keep this in mind and we need to continue to be watchful of our government, particularly if our government is starting to silence the media. Um, You know, this kind of data collection is not okay. This kind of data collection and spying... Uh, on us as United States citizens is very specifically against the Constitution and it's part of the reason that they have been shut down multiple times whenever they've asked publicly for these things and it's why they have a secret court to handle it. If there was nothing to hide, there would be no reason that FISA would have to be a completely secret closed-off court. So... I'm going to continue to report on that stuff here as I hear about it because I feel like everybody should be aware of this news and should be keeping it in mind because if we don't track these things and hold our government accountable, who the hell will? Um, So that's pretty much going to be the only thing that I consider a downer cast on this one. Uh, The other thing that I... This isn't current news, but I found it kind of fascinating... And, and this is going to sound weird, but I've always found the disease uh, rabies to be particularly fascinating. And I listened to a radio lab, which if you haven't ever listened to radio lab, that's another podcast that I recommend. It's a professionally done, um, I think it's an NPR owned property. It might be a public radio international. I'm not sure. Uh, but it's all science topics and it's available at radiolab.com. Um, But in this particular case, they were talking about a doctor trying to cheat death. So I was curious what they were talking about. And death in this case was rabies. 
typically in this country or any country, if you get rabies or if you're exposed to rabies, I should say, your only real chance of survival is what's called prophylaxis. So prophylaxis is a huge dose of rabies vaccine to make your immune system react to it right away because your immune system is the only thing that's going to save your life um, and it eradicates it before the disease actually takes hold and presents symptoms. If you present with symptoms of rabies before this case that they talked about in Radiolab, it was pretty much a 100% death rate. It's a death sentence. If you already have the symptoms, prophylaxis will not work. Um, and we have had very little luck in finding anything else that would cure this disease or even understanding how it works. But what the Radiolab guys talked about was this one case of this girl who discovered that what she had was rabies uh, after she'd already presented with symptoms, some uncontrollable muscle movements and uh, a little bit of fatigue, um, basically flu-like symptoms um, with some uncontrollable muscle movements. I guess you don't get the flu and like punch randomly at thin air, but you get my point. And the doctor was desperate to try and help her as any doctor would be so he started doing some reading and he discovered that uh, most patients or at least the patients that they had studied who had rabies and then died of it they dissected the brains expecting to see heavy damage because that's what we know this disease does is it wreaks havoc on your central nervous system until it just shuts down and doesn't work anymore what they found was very confusing they expected to see damaged tissue in the brains um, because the disease had wrecked, you know, and destroyed the cells up there. They also expected to find a lot of rabies virus in the brain. And what they found in a couple cases was a completely healthy looking average brain and no rabies in the brain itself. And what they figured out from this is that is two things. One is that your immune response eventually will pick up rabies and eradicate it, just like a, a common cold virus will. The problem is it doesn't pick it up fast enough to save your life before the disease kills you. The second thing they figured out is rabies doesn't seem, and at this point I think this is just wild conjecture, um, but rabies doesn't seem to attack the brain physically. Instead, it overstimulates brain activity. It makes the brain, it essentially reprograms the brain to overact. It produces too many neurons firing at the same time. And what we know is when the brain has this overabundance of activity to the point of where, um, you know, it can't get other things done, it starts to shut down. So eventually your brain gets so busy with these additional signals that um, things like your autonomic systems, your breathing, your heart beating, just stop functioning because the brain doesn't have the processing power to handle it. Um, in short, if you take an analogy, rabies causes a software problem in your head, not a hardware problem. It reprograms your brain to, do, to overdo itself to death. 
as opposed to destroying your brain tissue. So this gives this doctor this idea. Um, if he can calm down this young girl's brain long enough for her immune system to kick in and produce the proper antibodies, there's the potential that she could get out of it without her brain being completely destroyed, and then eventually her antibodies will take care of the rabies virus. So what they do is they induced a chemical coma, and she went to sleep for a long period of time, and they kept testing the cerebral spinal fluid for rabies, and eventually they saw rabies antibodies, and when they saw more rabies antibodies than the virus, and keep in mind I'm paraphrasing and I'm not a scientist, so I may be getting this part entirely wrong, um, but my point is the same. When her immune system had responded properly, they woke her back up. Now the problem with being in a chemically induced coma for that long is your brain still has collateral damage. She had to relearn to walk. She had to relearn to speak, although that happened more quickly. Uh, in short, it was just really hard to function for a while. But she was not dead. Uh, and she was the first person who had ever beaten rabies on record. Now that particular protocol, which is called the Milwaukee Protocol, is something that other doctors have tried and they've tweaked with different types of chemical comas and different timings and it has about a 9% success rate. Now, I know what you're thinking. 9% is a terrible success rate for a treatment. It's not even 1 in 10 people survive. But, if you think about it, we're talking about a disease that before was a 100% death sentence. So, that's a huge step forward. Um, Anyway, I thought I'd throw it out here, A, because I just find that particular disease really fascinating. Ever since I saw Old Yeller as a kid and then Cujo as a slightly older kid, uh, thanks to Matt for that, um, I've always found rabies to be both terrifying and really fascinating, and this, is, this was just really interesting happening with it. So I recommend you go and listen to the podcast. It's out there uh, on the Radio Lab website. And just listen to the story straight from the doctor's mouth. And you'll also hear the contravening uh, doctors saying that the Milwaukee Protocol is basically luck. Uh, and that may or may not be true. I have my own opinion on it. But um, either way, it's, it's a really interesting subject. I thought you guys might like it, so I figured I'd talk about it here. Um, so that's it for stuff that's newsly. Um, what I have now is some video games for you. Um, when I was a kid, I was a big fan of Capcom games, and Capcom did a lot of stuff that they built themselves that were characters that were their own intellectual property. Mega Man is probably one of the more famous ones. Uh, the Street Fighter series was Capcom. But something else they were known for was taking... Um, other movie-style properties and making really good video games out of them. Uh, movies or TV shows or that kind of thing. And they did this a particular... a particularly large amount with Disney. So... Capcom did a ton of Disney games. And the first one that I ever played was DuckTales. 
Subsequently, it is also the first video game that I ever beat, that I ever got to a screen that says, thanks for playing, you have defeated the game. Um, because most of the games that I had before that for the NES were the kind that just run independently forever. So, you know, you beat all the levels. Okay, well, let's go back and we'll start at level one, but we're going to increase the speed by two times. Um, DuckTales is the first game where it's like, this is the objective, and if you cross that line, you've beaten it. DuckTales was also kind of unusual in that time because there, I think, were seven or eight worlds that you could go to, different, basically, platform stages. But unlike most games at that time, you could visit them in any order. Um, they all had challenges that were very slightly different. Um, and they all had a lot of secret areas. And those secret areas made, made exploring each level feel like exploration, as opposed to just like slogging through and going from left to right, which is what the closest analog of Super Mario Brothers had been to that point. Um, I'm sure there are other games that played around with this, but it was one of the first that felt more open and felt more exploratory. So, you know, I remember going to one of the levels as African mines, and I remember, you know, finding new areas in the mines and exploring every nook and cranny that I could to see if there were extra treasures here and there, and that was an experience I hadn't yet experienced in video games. So... DuckTales, one of my classics. I still have the cartridge up here on the shelf now. Um, Disney and Capcom and a company called WayForward have remade the NES uh, DuckTales video game and released it on the PlayStation Network. I think they've also released it for PC and they're going to do it for Xbox. I don't know if that port is done yet. Um... The sprites are all very modern, so it uses uh, 3D and cell shading animation to make sprites that look like the uh, TV show used to look like. They also brought in some killer voice talent for it. Um, I don't know how many of the voices are original, but the one that really matters, which is Scrooge McDuck, uh, is still played by now, I think, over 90-year-old Alan Young. And he still sounds exactly the same. It makes it a sublime experience to play the game and hear that familiar kind of gruff Scottish accent, um, you know, making these jokes about, you know, Launchpad being kind of dumb and talking to the boys and giving them advice. And it's just, it just makes the game very, very endearing. Some quibbles I have with it, uh, they decided to put a lot of dialogue in it. And I can see why. They had a killer cast, and it's pretty well acted. But by the same token, as exploratory and interesting and revolutionary as the game may have been at its time, it's not plot-driven. It's kind of a everybody pick up, you know, you know every, everybody who plays is supposed to pick up all these different treasures in whatever order you decide to pick them up in and then after you get all the treasures, you have to, you know, get one last treasure. Trying to write a story around that feels a little contrived at times, and 
definitely the dialogue after the first time you play it gets in the way of enjoying the game. Because it has replay value in the same way that the old one did, just because it's a lot of fun worlds, there's a lot of exploration, um, collecting money will unlock uh, concept art and music and all kinds of different stuff, so it makes sense to go back and collect more money from the levels. But the cinematics you end up just skipping, because it's a, a long story that really no one cares about. Uh, even as endearing as Alan Young is. So DuckTales, I would probably give it a B plus um, as a video game. As a remake, it is fantastic. Uh, it very much captures the excitement of the original. The gameplay and platforming, I think they just nailed it. It was exactly like the original. I really did feel like I was controlling Scrooge. Um, and even in some ways, that's a little bit to its detriment. Um you'd be certain that you hit the proper button to make him convert into pogo mode and start jumping on enemies' heads and it wouldn't register your button press. And I remember that problem occasionally occurring in the NES version of the game. That's something they could have probably weaned out, but they, they didn't. But it feels exactly like the original game did, except more exciting and more visually appealing than the old game ever was. So... If you've never played DuckTales, you may not enjoy this one as much. Uh, I'd recommend trying the NES game because it's a lot easier for you to give some of its flaws when it's a classic game. And I'd recommend trying the NES game anyway just because that's a fun way to play it. Um, but if you did play that game and you were a big fan, definitely pick this up. It's pretty cheap. It's a lot of fun. And... Um, it's just a good return to nostalgia for me. Speaking of returns to nostalgia, uh, Adrian and I decided the other night to play Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES because we had forgotten that that game makes you want to kill people. I don't know if anybody else remembers this game. Um, we didn't even get as far as this, but my most vivid memory of this game is there's one level where the enemies of the turtles who are called the foot clan had planted bombs all over a dam that was protecting the city from a huge flood and you have to swim around in this dam and find all of the bombs and you knew how many there were but you didn't know where they were and for some reason there's all this electric seaweed that'll shock you and eventually kill you under the water that you have to swim very carefully through and the bombs are very well hidden in a maze. And it's a timed battle, of course, because they're bombs. They're going to go off. And I remember playing this enough times that it just made me want to hurt someone. Because it was so incredibly difficult to get all of those bombs in the right place. And if you lose all of the turtles, so you essentially have four lives any time that you play, you just die. And you get to continue, but the continue points are pretty far into the game. It's cut into like maybe three or four sections, and continue will take you to the last section. Um, Adrian and I played it for a while, and we couldn't even get past the first section, which is another case of me being old. Uh, when I was a kid, I could twiddle fingers through at least that, and can't do it now. I'm out of practice, but... 
it really just goes to show that like modern games have really held people's hands way more than things like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles used to. I, I couldn't believe how difficult it was. Um, and it's still strangely enjoyable because that game, kind of like DuckTales, has a very exploratory feel to it. There are manholes everywhere, and you don't know what's really going to be in there, where the manholes might lead. Um, but anyway, they're, they're a lot of fun. Uh, but it's still the challenging aspects of the game, the fighting, which is kind of clumsy, and the fact that the game is running on a system that couldn't quite handle the graphics they try and throw at it. Sometimes they try to throw so many different sprites on the screen that the game just slows to a crawl, which of course makes it much harder to control. Um, all make up for a frustrating experience. So it's funny because when I say, well, would I recommend playing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for the NES? If you've ever played NES games or played that game, I would recommend it. I would recommend that nostalgia, and frankly, I'm probably going to be coming back to it and trying to beat it again because um, having lost that skill is something that irks me uh, and the exploration factor and the fun factor are still enough that I might go back and you know hopefully not break my controller trying to beat it again so those are the two video games I've got this week it's been a very retro week um, still playing uh Skyrim. Not playing it quite as much as I was before, uh, mostly just because I know that if I'm going to start Skyrim, I'm going to play every quest that's assigned to me because I tend to get really anal about it and I'm really easily lose focus on the main quest that I'm trying to do. And because of that, <laughs> it just eats hours of my time if I decide I'm going to play it. So I've kind of steered clear of it for a while. Um, in the hopes that I can dedicate some of my time to other things like this podcast. So that's that's the video game stuff this week. Uh, don't have a ton of technology stuff this week. I did. Um, I've been working for work on a uh, API, and for those who don't know or maybe don't care, but I'm going to say it anyway. An API means application programming interface. So. What that essentially means is I can build an application that handles some data and then I can write an agreement between myself and anyone else who wants to use that data of how they can talk to my application. This has been a real challenge um, for years in programming about how to do this well and write and general enough that anybody could write something over the top of your data and use it properly. and. I've been playing around with an open source project called Service Stack because at work we use .NET. And I have to recommend it. It's got kind of a steep learning curve, particularly if you haven't kept up to date on the software-oriented architecture offerings out there. If you've never played around with WCF for .NET or any of those other things, it's going to be harder to learn, um, And which was my case because I wasn't working in Microsoft before I came to the company. Um, I had before, but I hadn't in a long time. But once you get it, it makes the way the the program is built, it sort of forces you to do the right thing in your design and very much split up your concept of what the data is versus how you're going to handle it, which is good for a whole number of reasons. 
So if you're looking to build a service, a web service, or even, you know, a REST service of any kind, SOAP, whatever you want to do, Service Stack will handle it. And I'd kind of recommended it for no other reason than Service Stack will force healthy programming habits upon you, which is something I kind of required. Um, but that was fun to play with. And that's really it for technology. I haven't done a lot with technology the past couple of weeks just because I've been, again, pretty busy. Uh, movies. Adrian and I uh, picked up from Amazon the Alien Trilogy. No, the Adrian Quadrilogy? The Alien Anthology, is, I think is what it's called. Um, but it's all four Alien movies in Blu-ray, and one day at Amazon it was like 20 bucks. So I decided to go ahead and bite the bullet. I had seen the first. I really enjoyed it, but I'd never seen any of the others. And she and I just watched uh, Aliens a couple weeks ago. Couldn't believe how much better that movie was than even the first one the first one was very good but it seemed like aliens really got their shit together as far as how they wanted to make a cinematic experience i feel like the storytelling was a lot tighter um and the moral dilemmas were more interesting in the first movie we get a little bit of a taste of the evil corporation that's running everything in the second movie you really see how evil said corporation is via pi via Paul Reiser's character. Um, so I, I would say if you haven't seen it, go pick it up, but probably everybody's seen it but me, anybody who's into that kind of film. Uh, but it's worth a second watch. We really enjoyed it. We really enjoyed the kid in it who's apparently been in nothing else, which shocked me. Um, and yeah, so keep an eye also on Amazon. That, that anthology was an amazing deal. We haven't watched Alien 3 or alien resurrection i think is the fourth one yet um but we will and from what i've heard everybody sort of says the same thing you know alien one is a classic aliens is the best alien three and alien resurrection have their moments so that's kind of what i expect out of something that went to four sequels but still we'll we'll definitely end up watching it and that's one of those movies that's visually interesting enough that a blu-ray absolutely makes sense particularly with practical effects so another movie that we picked up recently that i can't recommend enough just because i couldn't believe how clever it was was uh, warm bodies and i'm i'm sure people have at least heard of this film but the whole premise is it's a zombie film, and it's after the zombie apocalypse, and one of the zombies falls in love with a living person. Now, as strange and silly as that seems, you would think that might just be a zany comedy, but they take some really philosophical bents on it, and they take some very strange stuff about zombie lore and kind of play with the ideas. I was really impressed. Um just in the cleverness of the story alone and on top of that it's fantastically acted uh it's not an easy part to play a nearly mindless creature that's falling in love with something that that's kind of difficult to portray right because you have to be devoid of humanity but the whole thing that you're portraying is kind of in a way definition of humanity that that whole love concept and 
there's a very clear progression of the character from the start and to the end just in mannerism and how the character's eyes look when it's looking at something uh, how its body stance looks i can't remember the character or the actor's name off the top of my head but he did an amazing job with it and so if you haven't seen this film and you aren't i know some people who can't handle zombies just because the idea scares them a lot if you're not one of those people uh, even if you don't like horror films go and pick this up it's really a fun film it's very it's not creepy uh, there are a couple of places where it gets a little bit scary but i wouldn't say any more than your standard action film and the philosophical aspect of it and the acting aspect of it really make up for anything that would be otherwise detracting about the topic um and it's funny too there are lots of very funny parts of this film but i didn't say a lot about that because that's what i expected going into it and i got so much more than that so go pick up warm bodies let me know what you think i thought it was a really really good fun film i thought the actors did fantastic with it malkovich is in it too he plays um kind of the warlord that's keeping the zombies out and uh you know what can you say about john malkovich he's always good so other media been reading uh the dark tower series as i've been telling everybody but it, everybody will be pleased to hear i finished the drawing of the three and after the drawing of the three i was so impressed with the storytelling and the way the characters evolved at the end of it that for a good long portion of time i couldn't put down wastelands even though stephen king typically makes me more tired to read than most authors not because he's a bad author i say this every time i talk about his work but i think it's important to stress that i think he's a very good author but something about his voice just just doesn't jive with me but despite that wastelands was has been such a good story that i read through more than half of it in two days uh which for me is pretty fast so still reading it um still enjoying it the story has slowed down a lot i think one of the things i like about wastelands is the dark tower world um commingles with ours a lot in wastelands in very playful ways and one of the things i'm very fascinated by in this series is i want to know i want to know what the tie is between our world and um roland the gunslinger's world and being given hints to that and sort of seeing the two sides of the same coin play out in different ways has kept me very enthralled um and really i think that's about all that i had um you heard everything about the fair you've heard my movies you've heard my tv you've heard my scary rabies story so that's plenty of content plus you get sort of a bonus cast in this one you get to go and listen to chris and chris take over the world uh and they take over me <laughs> a little bit uh playing as a guest host on their show which again i just want to thank them again that was great fun and it was really a good time so if they're ever up here in the northlands or if i 
next time you know I think of it I can bring my computer and we'll do a crossover cast here and you can hear them in case you don't ever go out and listen to the people I recommend but you know thanks again to them that was a lot of fun I'll put the link in the show notes go and listen we had a great time talked about some cool stuff and um, you'll notice that the shout out this week didn't include anybody who got my challenge the last time I uh, posted my podcast the quotation that you heard on my last podcast was from a movie called Mumford. And I'm going to take a quick moment to talk about it because it's clear that nobody's seen it. Uh, otherwise, at least some of my friends would have gotten that. Mumford's a really interesting story. Um, and the problem is, is I can tell you almost nothing about it if I don't want to give it away. So the way Mumford works is... There's a guy, he's a psychologist in a small town. He's kind of new to the town. And um, while he's there, he falls in love with one of his patients. And the problem, I think, with this film is that all the commercials made you think that it was just that and a romantic comedy about that. It is significantly more. and there is a significantly more interesting story going on underneath everything. I can't tell you what it is, and I'd actually recommend if you decide to go see the film uh, or go pick it up at you know <laughs> at Best Buy or watch it on demand on Amazon or something. Don't read anything about it. Anything you read could very easily spoil what I thought was one of the more shocking and interesting plot points that they had. It's not what I'd say is really a twist in the film, but it just takes it a direction that I I never expected, and if they had told me anything about it, it just wouldn't have been as interesting. So go see it. Go enjoy it. And this week, um, since, you know, my goal was to stump Chris Canary, and I did, Uh, I've got another one that might also stump him and might not. I'm curious to see, but it's a little bit obscure. Um, Here's a quotation from a movie for you. Let me know if you know what this is. Again, you can either tweet me at uh, badbraincurio, or you can email me your answer at bbcs at aaronm, as in Michael, bond.com. And uh, if you get it right, I will put your name in the next uh, shout-out episode. So... Let me know if you know what movie this is from. This is the path we took. It was a good path, a red path, a path of many moods. We we started here. Then we went here, here, down here, over here, 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 and ended up here. Many people thought we wouldn't make it. This was one of the people who laughed at us. We called him Steve. Later, he died of dysentery. We buried him here. All right, guys, I think that about does it for me this week. Have a good one, and uh, go to your local state fair. Enjoy the sunshine while you can. Intro and outro music provided by Latchy Swing. Hear more of their music at freemusicarchive.org slash music slash L-A-T-C-H underscore swing.
This podcast was recorded, produced, and distributed using open source technologies. The Bad Brain Curio Shop podcast is copyrighted 2013 and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. For more information, visit creativecommons.org.